0: This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin. Where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hi everybody, and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Wednesday, May 2nd, and this is episode 29. This is the show where we talk about films from Hollywood to Hong Kong and sometimes stuff in between. I am Paul Fox, and joining me as always is my good friend, Kevin Ma. Hi everybody. So Kevin, what's new? um not
1: too much how about your side paul Uh, how's it going
0: same old same old uh end of the semester so hopefully things will start winding down in the next couple weeks um a lot of move, big movies on the horizon anything you're looking forward to in particular
1: i'm i'm looking forward to uh this week's movie actually uh the movie group gallants the the action film with a lot of these uh, old school actors and of course mc jin because he's a perfect fit for this type of film so uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. We'll be watching The Dynasty, um, and we might, we might have a special guest. So uh, looking
0: forward to it. Yeah, that should be exciting. Um, really looking forward to seeing that film, seeing Teddy Robin in a film. I haven't seen him in ages. Um, so I'm, I know that uh, some of the people we've, we're going with have already seen it a couple times. But uh, I, for one, am very, very excited to see it. Um, and what about uh, any, any other big movies on the horizon that you can think of? I mean, I know the only one that comes to my mind that I'm really kind of pumped for is uh, Toy Story 3. And it doesn't seem like it's really a big sort of blockbuster summer this year.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a quiet uh, early summer so far. I mean, last year, we already had a couple of big releases, although I can't remember for the life of me what we had last year. Like Memorial Day. We of course, you always get some uh, big release uh, starting from early May, I think. Um, what do you have last year, Paul? Do
0: you remember? Gosh. Uh, I think we had Transformers two. Oh, that was July fourth, um, I believe. Star Trek. Yes, yes, that was, was the other yeah. one. Um, but yeah, you know, it's kind of hard because it, the, the 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 summer movie season sort of starts early now. I mean, we've already had Iron Man two and. And a, you know, a couple other big films. Um, one of the films mm-hmm. we'll talk about tonight, *Prince of Persia*, sort of falls in that vein of a big sort of Hollywood blockbuster. Um, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's <clears throat> maybe they're spacing them out more these these years to avoid competition.
1: Perhaps so. Um, this year's a little week. I mean, next week we get *The A Team*, um, and depends on I guess how much how 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 much you're into that. Sort of really manly action thing. This year seems to be really sort of a manly action year. We have the Expendables, we have the A Teams, a lot of these male oriented action films. Um, and of course, we get the Tom Cruise, uh, Cameron Diaz film, um, Night and Day, which seems like it's more sort of big spectacle action. But mm. yeah, uh, definitely seems like kind of a low, kind of a uh,
0: down year, I guess. Yeah, for, and I think we're like getting uh, Hong Kong's getting the Sex in the City 2 movie also next week. Yes. Um, which yes. is kind of ironic. I was, I was, uh, twittering with someone, uh, I think yesterday or the day before about, you know, here we're in, in the same week, we're getting two films that are sort of both based on old and somewhat, you know, dated television series from the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, to well, be honest, yeah. I'm not really looking forward to either one that much. I mean, I, I liked the A team in its day. If you go back and watch it today, it's kind of, uh, repetitive and redundant. Um not really sure. Sh- I can't I can't really say I'm looking forward to uh the film version. Although I could be surprised. Um mm-hmm. Sex in the City Two, uh you know, I'll probably go and see it. Um You will? Yeah. Well I saw I saw the first one. Um oh. you know, is a it's a sort of a date movie, I guess. But you, well, you know? can talk about that one. Oh. <laughs> um so uh kind of Inception Inception that 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 I don't I don't really know what to make of. I mean the trailers are really weird. Um, and then there's the one with uh um, well, what is it? It's it's the kid from the T V show Arrested Development. I can never remember. Uh, Scott, Pilgrim versus yeah, Scott, Scott Pilgrim vs. the world. Scott Pilgrim vs. the world. That those trailers look rather exciting. Yeah, um, but
1: there's no no release date set for Scott Pilgrim yet. Part because it's in August. I think it's coming out late. July or in August in America, so there's no set release date out here yet. Yeah,
0: and I think um one of the one of the bigger films that I'm kind of looking forward to when I'll be back in the states next month is um the new Predator movie. Ah. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm kind of excited. I'm also kind of worried about what they're going to do with the franchise. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. How about Hong Kong films? Uh, we've got the Ip Man film coming. And anything else? You know, the gallants is tomorrow. Um, what mm. else is on the horizon for us?
1: Uh we have uh, the Jet Li um uh, kind father film, Ocean Heaven, that's coming out on the twenty-fourth. Um looking at the release date. We have uh Feng Xiao Gong's latest film, Aftershock, which will be also playing at IMAX Theatres nationwide mm. uh starting July twenty second. Um and uh yeah so i mean because releases in hong kong aren't so aren't now so early um oh we also have triple tap coming in july 1st um also jeff lao's fantastic water base which has been delayed for i think two and a half years now that's finally getting released on july 15th mm.
0: and i think we've got um the the jillian chung movie in a few weeks right
1: oh uh, yes x we've already okay. i i already saw that at a film festival um it's kind of picking, it's, it's kind of the, the, the advertising effort isn't quite strong because I guess um, there's been some bad buzz coming off the festival. But we can talk more about that, I think, uh, in, the, in two weeks.
0: All right, well, let's get into some of our East Screen news for this week. Um, our first story this week sort of picking up where we left off last week. Once again, talking about Ip Man 2 which seems to be able to do no wrong, in um, in Asian cinemas at least. Last week we talked about a story saying that it had broken the top box office record in Singapore, which would, was previously held by Stephen Chow's Kung Fu Hustle, and now it seems that the film has gone on to basically become the top grossing film in Asia for 2010. Um, I, I mean, th- I think this is great news, but it's, um, is, it a, it, it, is it a bit disturbing as well, Kevin? It's
1: disturbing in a way that... Well, I mean, it's not, it's not surprising that Asians, an Asian audience, I guess, connect with this film. Um, especially since considering where it's played. It's played in Singapore, uh, China, Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan... Um, Malaysia um, and Thailand. I mean, some of these places, I would say, in history they've had, I guess, similar history. They one, they want an action film. They want a big action film. And two, they want to see Caucasian Westerners get their butts kicked. I guess it, it, it's. Um, I hate to say, if there's like a historic thing or there's like a cultural thing going on this, but um, I'm not entirely surprised that it's it's it's, t- it's doing so well in Asia. I mean it's not- I don't think I think this, this um, title, I don't think it's going to stay for long. I'm sure Japan is going to roll out something that's going to beat this gross. Because uh, usually a Japanese film can make even up to say 50-60 million dollars. And this year they're rolling out their most- the third installment of their most, uh, their most successful live action franchise ever. So um, I'm sure that title is not going to stay. But uh, like I said, I'm not really surprised that It Man 2 would satisfy so many Asian audiences. Hmm. I don't think it would do as well um, in the West. I mean, to them, it would just be another one of those niche, I guess, um, kung fu films that will do probably mild business business. Especially, Donnie Yen isn't really a household name yet. It's not like he's not like he's a Jack Chan or anything, so uh, he can't reopen really the movie in the West yet. So um, I think it's going to stop here, uh, finally, mm. hopefully.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting if you look at the figures they have on the Film Biz Asia site. It says that Ip Man Two is so far made 5.4 million in Hong Kong uh, 1.8 million in Taipei and by Sunday night the film had taken uh, 30.4 million in China and it goes on to list some of the other places it's played like Malaysia Singapore and Thailand but you know that that China figure 30.4 million is pretty significant in showing you know the what a movie can do you know, with, with the size of the population and the number of theaters in China um, compared with the rest of Asia. I mean, because if you if you start to add up Hong Kong, you start to add up, you know, the Taipei and, and Malaysia and the other places, and those figures combined still don't come anywhere near um, the revenue that's being earned in China. And I guess mm-hmm. this is also worrying from the fact that if if things like nationalism or uh, other issues that we've talked about before, where directors cater to the tastes and the restrictions from the censors and the, the the film boards in China, that I think we're going to end up getting a lot more of some of the devices that we've seen in things like Overheard or in um, in some of the other films that you you can just tell are that they're, they're constructed in such a way as so they'll get airtime in China and you know we're probably going to see a lot less you know a lot fewer ghost stories and uh a lot fewer bad guys getting away with it in the end as you know these films become you know show it films like it man show that there's a whole lot of money to be made in that market
1: well two things about that one is that um uh, that that figure of 30.4 million dollars in China it's 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 fairly significant but it's not the highest figure. I think Bodyguards and Assassin made more than that. Um, it's a it's a really good figure, but it's, I don't think it's going to be the top-grossing film this year. I think uh, Feng Shaogun's Aftershock is going to beat that because I think 30.4 million uh, US dollars, I think that translates to about 210 million renminbi, mm. right? Roughly. Um, uh, in perspective, uh, Founder Republic made 400. Um, Avatar made like made like 1.3 billion mm. um um bodyguards as, as i mentioned made 250 so it's it's not quite really where at a point where it meant is the biggest film of the year where it's not where we have to worry too much about this film being kind of this monster monster-sized franchise where it could eat up everything and it could it could create a whole new trend or whatever um but like I said, it's, it's definitely big. It's big, but it's not worrisome big. And second, I think it's time that the rest of Asia begins to 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 see how what we people in Hong Kong have been worried about for the last five, six years.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, it's a good point, too, with founding of a republic because we do have um, the sequel prequel coming, uh, I guess, at some point this year or next year? I think year? next year. I mean, next year. Next year? Uh, next, yeah. I think it's the next year, yeah. Um, and that is uh, founding of a party, right? <laughs> party! <laughs> yeah, suddenly, uh, you know, I, I, I I'm one. I, I have a vision of like uh, Bill and Ted showing up <laughs> in a time machine and going, "Yeah, communist party, rock on!" <laughs> you know, I need to go back and watch that movie. Um, well, the other thing I do want to ask about this news, though, is uh, I think you or someone else was posting on Twitter some news about. Raymond Wong saying that there won't be an Ip Man 3, it, was that you or was that some, somebody else? Yes,
1: yes, that was, uh, he's been saying this because yeah. what the Ip Man franchise is uh, produced with uh, Mandarin Films, which was Raymond Wong's old company before he went off and, and uh, started a new company for his son, uh, who's also a screenwriter. Uh, and they did uh, also in twenty ten, but because I think Mandarin Films owned the franchise or owned the name to it, so Raymond Wong had to go back and make It Man two with this company, and apparently they don't get along, um, especially after his departure. So um, that's the thing; he's not going to, he's not definitely not going to deal try and deal with Mandarin Films again. And two, he's, he that's what is what he said. This is what he said. He said that there are too many It Man themed films coming out. Uh, for example, you get the Young it Man film by Herman Yao coming later this month. You got the Wong Kar Wai It Man biopic that's still shooting in China, um, and he feels that he might uh, flood the market of It Man films, which is kind of ironic and hypocritical, considering that Raymond Wong is the kind of businessman that will not let something like you know flooding of the market stop him. Yeah, look I mean, at, just look at the how
0: many all, alls well ends wells do we need, right? Right,
1: exactly. So. Um, but so the rumor is more like because it doesn't want to deal with Mandarin films, mm. uh, which is why it did not want to make a third one. And also there's been rumor um, circling around that Donnie Yen and, 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 and director Wilson might might just dump Raymond Wall altogether and do free on their own, the mm. third film. Yeah, well, um, it's,
0: it's kind of hard for me to believe that with as successful as this film is doing as a sequel, no less, that they are not planning to just continue forward with this and and you know uh, sort of beat it into the ground that's the thing where can the franchise go because um a little spoiler for the end of Ip man 2 is
1: that they've already introduced bruce lee now once you start introducing going to the next step when bruce lee is coming into the it man story then it sort of becomes halfway into a bruce lee biopic yeah that's a good and point. so yeah, so how, do, how, how far can you take the franchise? Well, he's going to fight Mr. Twister's twin brother, or the two Mr. Twisters who come and both fight Ip Man, and then, you know, and there's, so there's also rumor that in the third film, in the Rosalind Donnie-only version of Ip Man 3, that they're going to try and uh, give the Huan Xiaoming character the, the, the focus and sort of let the Ip Man character uh, slowly fade out. Mm-hmm. So that's an, I guess that's another direction it can go. Um, depends, but as long as Donnie is, is making money, which, um, which we'll, we'll see when Legend of the Fist comes out later in the summer or in October, uh, we'll see what Donnie's drawing power at the box office is. And then
0: uh, maybe, maybe Ip Man we will have to rely on him. Yeah. Alright, well, let's move on. Um, so our second story this week, uh, NBA-sponsored Chinese film in the works. Uh, Kevin, you have some more details on this? yeah
1: um there's according to today's uh, apple daily um it looks like a shanghai film studio uh, might be co-producing a uh, basketball film with the nba
0: please tell and, me uh, it's starring eiken cheng oh i hope i had hope no um, it's gonna be called close. slam dunk 2 right <laughs>
1: close close Iken Chang was on this man's jacket for one movie Yes, Sean Yu uh, is in talks with uh, Huang Xiaoming, uh, who was an in *Man 2*, to star in a in a basketball film that will also star Yao Ming, the 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 Ro- uh, Houston Rockets player. Um, it apper- it's apparent that uh, that the China is being a pretty big market for basketball, and Ch- um, so the NBA is trying to tap it uh, by, I guess, sending some of their players uh, for this film. Uh, so in in addition to Yao Ming is. They're talking with uh, Magic Johnson and Kobe Bryant to make at least cameo appearances in this film about uh, these aspiring Chinese basketball players uh, who manages to get Yao Ming as their teacher. And then um, after they learn basketball, they have to play against uh, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Houston Rockets. Um, This isn't confirmed yet. It's supposed to um, be confirmed, I guess, in a few weeks. Uh, which is why uh, neither of the stars are are, com- are are admitting that they're in the film. They said they have been contacted, but they haven't confirmed that they'll be in the film. And um, actually, Sean Yu is a more appropriate choice than you might think, because apparently before he became a model, he was uh, a member of the youth basketball team here in Hong Kong. Um, so it should be interesting. Um, I'm not sure it would be good, but uh, it should be interesting to see... All These NBA stars and and trying to make this big commercial sports film, and um, with NBA and apparently the NBA will be co producing, or I'm not sure if they'll be involved uh, financially, but they'll be at least be involved in in sending their players, so it'll be kind of an interesting co production. Hmm. Uh, What do you think, Paul? I
0: mean, are you a Uh, big NBA fan? No, not at all. And I think I've, uh, after seeing Kung Fu Dunk, I've had as much basketball in Hong Kong cinema. As I could possibly take.
1: <laughs> Actually, the NBA commissioner, um, he says that he he cited Kung Fu Dunk as a as a successful example of a Chinese basketball film. So now we know now we know what what are, what they're aiming for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's lower, awesome. adjust your expectations
0: accordingly. I didn't say lower; I just said adjust. Somebody get in touch with Jay Chow. <laughs> Let the chairman know they're going to rip off his idea. <laughs> All right, let's talk about our East Screen film for this week, and this is the Japanese sequel, uh, Nodami Kantabile 2. So unfortunately, I have not had a chance to get out and see this film because I didn't see the first film, and I haven't seen the television series as of yet, and I'm I'm not somebody who... I don't like to go and see a film if if I haven't really seen, you know, all of the, the things leading up to it. So I, I want to get out, and I want to see the TV series and then the first film before I sort of approach this one. But I do know from friends who've seen it that as it played here in Hong Kong that this film actually had English subtitles. Whereas when they released the first film last year, um, and Kevin you did a review on that. Mm-hmm. Um when they reviewed when, when they when they released it last year, uh the first one ha- did not have uh English subtitles. It only had Chinese subtitles. That's right. So it's a it's it's kind of weird that they would do that um this time. But Um, So, yeah, Kevin, I'm going to throw it into your court and uh, let you give us a bit of a synopsis and tell us your thoughts on this. Sure. Um, Well, quick thought on
1: why the subtitle situation is that the first film was distributed on film. Um, And I'm guessing there's some kind of financial issue about printing an extra set of subtitles or whatever, which I guess prevented the company uh, from putting on English subtitles. But uh, the second film was projected uh, digitally here in Hong Kong cinemas and i guess that makes it either easier for them to put on the subtitles or because the subtitles might have been already on the digital print or whatever the original master that they have so it's part why they didn't remove it um, so that that was that would be my i guess my my guess about why there's english subtitles and um paul if you haven't watched if you haven't watched the 10 episode tv series or the the 4 hour one, one episode drama or or the, the two-hour film, yeah, you probably shouldn't try and sit down for this one. Because this really is um, a continuation of the first film. The, 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 the two theatrical films essentially make up one long episode, just like the one-off TV episode back in January 2007, I believe, or 2008. Anyway, um, No Damekantabide 2 continues that story. Um, the first story, had uh, the first film had your main character Chiaki, um who's also a who, who was a conductor in Europe, uh, up and coming conductor. He he just rescued uh, an orchestra, failing orchestra, which is kind of a situation that you saw in the TV drama. And now he has to deal with his relationship with his uh, girlfriend, No uh, Nodame, as indeed the the, the the character in the title, who's played by Juri Ueno. Um this it's kind of hard to spell out because the plot is very, very character-based. This time it's about resolving these things that have the, the, these issues that these characters have, which involves these two really talented musicians trying to one-up each other and then feeling, I guess, uh, self-pity every time the other person uh, uh, exceeds exceeds themselves in talent. And so it's kind of about these two characters trying to get over that and and, and get on with the romantic relationship. So it... It almost feels like kind of an art house film because there's not much of a of a clear conflict that drives the film like the first film. Uh, the first film, like as I said, set up this sets up the sitcom like situation, and so it's really easy to identify with it, and it's easy to follow it even if you haven't seen the the previous um, installments. And um, it, it kind of is a much more commercial film, and this one is, it, it really drags unless you really like the characters, unless you have been unless you've gotten really involved with these characters throughout the years. So uh, it's kind of a harder film to sit through if you're not a big fan of the series. Um, but there's one good thing about this installment is that the the characters from the original drama, the side characters, um, they come back briefly in the first act. And uh, it's a really welcoming return because they sort of disappeared from the, ever since the one-off uh, episode back in 2008. And also they're missing for most of the film, uh, the first film. So they're back here and it's really and they really I thought they were really kind of one of the biggest elements into making this the the the, the original series a success because uh these two characters are interesting, but it's these wacky zany side characters that really provide the little comic moments in addition to these two eccentric characters. So I was really glad to see them back. And of course, uh Naoto Takenaka, the tanned actor who you might have seen speaking back Mandarin in uh, Shinjuku incident. Uh he's back as a a master conductor named Straussman who who can't really speak good Japanese, even though the actor is Japanese, so he's always great to watch because he's sort of hamming up the screen. Um, but like I said, it's it's a really strange film for me. It's good to 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 see this the story wrapped up and it's interesting to see what happens when they do sort of a character-based version of Nodame. Um, like i said the, the 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 style the original comic style gags are still here, but they become a little more sparse and and the film i and again the film is it's not really a complete film. there's no beginning. The ending itself it is a' satisfact- it's a, it's a satisfying ending to the whole series, but the film itself is kind of stuck it it's It feels like only about half a film, which is what this film is. And um, again, if you haven't followed the series at all, if you have not watched any of these films, uh, don't let the English subtitles attract you. Don't let the subtitles pull you in. You'll be confused and you'll probably be bored. Um, Me, I'm a fan, so I I kind of liked it just because it brings back the characters. But personally, I like the first film better.
0: Now, is the first film out on video yet?
1: Uh, No, because it's... I think it hasn't been released in Japan. Um, I think it comes out in the next few weeks. So hopefully we'll see a Hong Kong release announced pretty soon.
0: Interesting how you said you know the that you felt this, the side characters really sort of make the show better. I find that true with a lot of Japanese TV shows and a lot of Japanese cinema. And I wonder if that's sort of a formula that they go to. As you were saying that, I was reminded of films like um, uh, Sumo Do, Sumo Don't. And some of the Mm -hmm. other TV series I saw where I actually am much more interested in some of the side characters and their stories than usually the main character, right? Um, Like Sumo Do, Sumo Don't, the main character was sort of this young, attractive college kid who joined the sumo team. But you had this like weird gang of other people who also joined the team and all of them were far more interesting than the main character. And I don't know, do you think that's formula, or or is that just a way that and sort of Japanese storytelling has evolved and people are used to it, so they keep returning to it?
1: I think that's a typical comedy formula, I think. You always have the, the straight man, and then you always have the comic relief that the straight man, or that, that plays off the straight man, or that the straight man can play off of. Now, instead of having one comic relief, I guess they like to have a kind of an endearing, cast uh, or a ragtag group of whatever or uh, a group of underdogs or eccentric group of whatever. Yeah, I think it's all about formula. It's just that maybe because Jap- Japan has Japanese films have so many really good character actors. You know, kind of like uh, in Hong Kong cinema, it would be like Lam Strait or Hui Xiu Hong. You got, you got a really wide range of these kind of actors, I guess, in Japan. So that it's kind of easy to find these people and, and have them play these really great side characters but they'll never be a lead character you yeah. always have the handsome people the pretty people as a as a lead character but you always have these people to rely on as sort of the fun side comic relief characters
0: yeah Uh, let's move on and talk about some West screen news for this week. Um, not a lot on our plate this week uh, but this bit of news is very disappointing for me and that is the director Gilmore Guill- uh, if I can say his name correctly Guill- Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro um, he has quit the director's position for the Hobbit the prequel it's going to be a two-part prequel. As a film to Peter Jackson's trilogy Lord of the Rings um, all of these being based of course on the um, the, the the famous novels from J.R.R. Tolkien um, I was really super excited when they announced that he was going to be directing and now that he's quit I am just and as I wrote in the notes I just said crap um, this is just really you know this is like the worst news I could have heard Aside, uh, other than the fact that they said, okay, we're just not going to do The Hobbit movies now. Um, And apparently it's because the studio has not even given the film a green light. And I remember we talked about in one of the shows last year, one of our news segments was about the fact that they had signed um, the actor who to play Gandalf from the film. Um, What's his name? Uh, Magneto. Um, Ian, McKellen. Ian McKellen yes uh, I'm going brain dead tonight yeah they had signed Ian McKellen to, to reprise the role I was super excited um, you know things seem to be going smoothly but according to uh, Del Toro he says that um, they, they haven't set, even set a start date they're still in pre-production and the problem is not with the production crew it's with MGM because they're having issues with financing and uh, apparently they're uh, on the brink of bankruptcy and so they haven't been able to negotiate the start date and they haven't greenlit the film and i'm guessing that uh, director del toro has just he's probably got other things on his plate that he needs to get rolling and he just can't sit on his hands and wait for mgm to get their act together so the article does say that he's going to be sort of staying on as part of the script team to help continue to co-write the screenplay with um, with Jackson and and some others, so I'm glad he's still going to have some involvement. But he has, you know, his visual style. If you've seen him, the, the movies he's done, the hell like Hellboy and um, Pan's Labyrinth, which I didn't really like. Pan's Labyrinth was a bit too um, a, a bit too dark for me. Um, but, you know, he's the, the the visual and sort of artistic style that he brings to films is just amazing. And I thought it was going to be a perfect fit for The Hobbit. So now that he's kind of just going to be on the script team, I'm really disappointed. And well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see who gets brought on board um, and when if you know, and if the show is eventually going to get the green light from MGM. Uh, Kevin, you're not you're not a big Lord of the Rings fan, right? Um, I watched the films. Yeah, uh,
1: and I liked them, and uh, I also like Guillermo del Toro. Um, it's it's too bad because I mean MGM, they have these two big franchises. They have they have this is the Hobbit, which it's almost guaranteed hit. Um, and then you have they have the Bond franchise, and 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 you know why can't they? save their money elsewhere they need these franchises to essentially save the company and yet they can't even get their act together to get these movies rolling yeah so it's too bad i mean i hope that jackson will find a director who can who can um who has as much talent as del toro um at least half i hope uh and i hope they will find a director who can actually sit on their ass at new zealand for another three years while mgm tries to get itself out of this mess but you know, Del Toro was so he was so invested in this project. He was he threw away two years of his life in in New Zealand just waiting for this to start. Yeah. I mean, they said he said they were ready to go. They had all the designs going. Um, they had everything designed. The script was almost done. And yeah, it's too bad that it turned out like this.
0: Yeah. So, unfortunately, fans are going to have to sit sit in wait and uh, anticipation for a bit longer and hopefully MGM will, you know, get their act together and get things rolling. Uh, I, you know, I kind of look at this, it's nowhere near as serious, but, you know, it's like the, sort of like the banking crisis, you know, you get, you get all these people who are pencil pushers and paper pushers and, and they just look at numbers flying back and forth and they're not really involved in the day-to-day grind of things. And ultimately they end up messing things up for everybody you know the people who do good work and the people who go out there and and get things done and you've you know you've got to have somebody in some corporate office somewhere say yes or say no and it's a shame very disappointed let's talk about our West screen film for this week and that is the new Disney version um, Prince of Persia uh, more appropriately titled Prince of Persia the sands of time so this is a film that is uh, coming from Disney but it is actually based on the video game series of the same name Uh, although as I understand it this this particular films and narrative um, are not connected directly to any of the various video games that have sort of emerged, but it's borrowing a lot of style and a lot of element um, from the series in general. So basically it tells the story of of a young sort of street urchin named uh, Dastan, played by Jake Gillenhall, who as a young boy, as an orphan on the street, um, he performs sort of a noble act, and he draws the attention of the king or the sultan of Persia, who promptly adopts him and brings him into the palace as his own son. Now, the king already has um, two sons of his own, uh, and the, those two sons are in line for the throne, whereas Destan, he can never be in line because he he's not of royal blood, but he's still um, considered as a brother among the brothers that are raised together, and as, per- as Persia sort of expands its empire and goes across uh, the world, uh, conquering nations and conquering kingdoms, um, the three boys grow up in, in, you know, service to their father as soldiers. And so this basically tells the story of uh, the Dastan character as the, the, the three brothers decide to attack uh, a kingdom. And this kingdom is considered somewhat mystical and for, for various reasons, but the attack goes forward and during the attack, Dastan um, happens upon this dagger which holds the magical sands of time. And he learns that if he uses this dagger, he can reverse time for a few moments before uh, the sands begin to run out. Um, unfortunately, however, as as things as after the siege on the kingdom takes place um quickly becomes a wanted man and for for the reasons that uh, some people believe that he's actually responsible for the death of or the assassination of his father and so he ends up going on the run and of course he's on the run with the princess from the kingdom that they just conquered so you have this sort of um how, how would you define this sort of a a hand solo type of uh, uh of relationship where it's a sort of a love hate relationship between the male protagonist and the female protagonist um which is the princess tamina played by actress uh Gemma R Arthur R yeah I if think. i say that correctly um who the last time i saw her was in a in the James Bond movie uh i think it was uh, quantum, quantum of Solace. Solace, and she played strawberry fields I think was her character. Um so yeah. So basically this be, you know, the 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 two are on the lamb and they're hunted and um Dastan has to try and clear his name and of course there's a person who's sort of behind the whole thing. I won't give that spoiler away uh, who sort of wants the dagger. It's pretty obvious. Um it at least it was obvious to me who the bad guy really was. Um, And I think that anybody who's seen, you know, any films of of this type, you know, um, going back and looking at some of the films like, um, uh, I want to think of like some of the Douglas Fairbanks Jr. films. And you know, so Alibaba and the Forty Thieves, Hamlet, uh, yeah, <laughs> or Ham- King Lear. And this was yeah. one, another thing that I wrote that this this film was very much in the line of a uh, King Lear. Um, mm-hmm. y- you've probably you'll probably be able to, you've seen a lot of these elements before. Um, so it's an average Disney adventure film at best. Uh, it Has some game moments in it, in which if you've played the Prince of Persia games, um, which I haven't played too many of them. But I've played many games like them, um, Assassin's Creed and, and some of the others that are very similar. Uh, my mom is a huge fan of the Prince of Persia games. She's played all of them. Um, but there are some game moments where the, the camera is actually mimicking the game. Like I remember very on early on during the Castle Siege, for example, and Destana has to figure out how to do something with the gate. The camera sort of goes from point A to point B to point C as you would see the various things that he needs to achieve and accomplish just in the same way they use camera movements in, say, you know, an Xbox game or a PlayStation game. Um, And there were some moments like that where I'm thinking, you know, I really should have a controller in my hand. Um, You know, I I felt uncomfortable because I wasn't able to press an X or an an O button, you know, and I think that kind of hurt the film overall. I think they sort of relied on that gimmick a little bit too much, much in the same way that in the Doom movie they had a couple scenes that were very much um, repurposing the, the, the gameplay visuals of the Doom game. Um, I'm not sure that that really works well in cinema. And, I, and I, I don't really like it when films... I mean, I don't mind this being a video game film, but I don't want them trying to sort of copy or remediate video video game imagery so much you know if if they're going to be a film let them be a film let's see yeah so there's some king lear there's definitely some king lear style conflicts going on between the boys and the father the action choreography there is some sword fighting uh the camera work i felt was a little bit kind of just mtv-ish just jumped around you couldn't really see anything clearly um yeah yeah the villain i pretty pretty predictable um, you should be able to figure out who it is. Very cliche arguments. You know, the prince and the princess are at each other's throats. There's a lot of back-and-forth verbal banter, verbal sparring. I didn't... I, I don't know. I didn't really... They They didn't really connect for me. Um, I didn't really like either Either one of them, uh, to be honest. I didn't feel that they had a good chemistry, and I wasn't really into either of them in the roles that they had. Um and if you've played a Prince of Persia game, you know, you're used to some things. You're used to, you know, uh, lots of acrobatics, some sword fighting, but you're also used to a lot more magic and monsters. And you do have some magic here, but I think if you're looking for more of some of the high fantasy that you might get from some of the Prince of Persia's, um, that's not really present here. Um, and I think my biggest problem with it was the main, the main character, the main actor, um, <laughs> Gillen Hall, And also they had a, a young actor playing dust when he was a boy. And I'm sorry, they just don't look middle Eastern. <laughs> um, and you know, through the whole film, I'm just thinking that they, 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 there is no other actor they could have gotten who, you know, looks somewhat debonair and, and could have taken on this role. I mean, I was thinking of the, I can't remember his name, but, he was in um, Bride and Prejudice*. He was Darcy's friend. And he was also in Lost, I think. I only watched like the first season of Lost. Uh, who played uh, Saeed, right? Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking he would, so be, he would be an idea. Naveen Andrews. Yeah, and- yeah. I, he would have been a great choice. Um, you know, I think hes hes he's charismatic enough. Maybe a bit too old. I don't know. I just felt that this was not, you know, this was not an appropriate role. For for him, uh, for for Gillen Hall, and yeah, it's just I don't know these these actors are way too white bred to be playing Middle Easterners. I that I don't mean that in you know sort of a racist manner, but I mean come on, reverse it's,
1: racist manner, maybe. Yeah, it's like
0: I <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, so let me Kevin, what did you think? You saw this? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I definitely agree with you. Definitely agree with you. Um, on a lot of these things. Um. One, yeah, Jilling Hall, Hall definitely not good in a row. I don't know what he was doing there. It's almost like he was switching between American, Scottish and English accents throughout the whole film. Cause you know he's American, so um of course he was have, he was trying to fake the British accent. Uh meanwhile the uh, gammer gamma Atherton, I think. Uh I guess they I guess uh, Rachel Weiss was too old for a row. So they just found someone who could speak like her. And like when I'm watching the trailer, I mean when it was only her voiceover, I just keep thinking Wait, Joe Weiss is doing another mummy film? Like, what's
0: going on? <laughs> yeah, this film did did kind of remind me of The Mummy in many ways. I mean, some of the visual effects and some of the the coloring and, and some of the co- composite shots of the desert and things was very reminiscent of The Mummy.
1: More like without the fun. Actually for me, this proved this to me told me it should prove how well direct the first mummy film was. Mm. The first mummy film was it was good old fashioned adventure that that had a good that was well paced with likable characters and even if it did play with a lot of stereotypes, it was still a very fun uh, adventure film. Here it felt like one, Disney was trying to get the film cut to under two hours, so it felt twenty minutes too short. Not 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 the story felt too short, it just felt like it was cut 20 minutes quicker. Too quick. Mm. Um, especially with the MTV style editing. And um, a lot of the violence, actually, is really a violent film. It, it felt really sanitized. I mean, the violence is still there, but it's almost like it just took out the blood and it got a PG-13, but the violence is still there. I mean, you think about the body count in the film. I yeah. mean, there's it's over 100 people. Over 100 people died, and they were all chopped up by some sharp blade, especially one character who was... a I believe he was sliced across his throat, uh, and this is a major character. So it was like I, I couldn't believe I was watching a Disney film. Um, yeah, I think they started, I think
0: they were sort of aiming for more of a Pirates of the Caribbean kind of a tone, and unfortunately, right, but at least yeah, at
1: least Pirates of the Caribbean had this gothic tone that at least at some at least at some point you realize wait they're like killing like. They're, they're chopping up skeletons, not real humans. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the death count in, in, in the first Pirates of the Caribbean film wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't low either. But at least you kind of got that gothic feel. And two, it wasn't, you couldn't see so much detail. It, the, the violence, it's much more subtle or much more suggested than what you see in Prince of Persia. Mm. Um, a lot of people get stabbed uh, by arrows and, and and different places. Yeah, it, it's quite a violent film, and I wouldn't even recommend it for anyone under thirteen. Even yeah. it's PG thirteen, I wouldn't recommend it for kids. Um, again, the acting is lackluster. At one point, someone I wrote this on my Twitter, so I'm sorry for repeating it. Someone looked up at the Ben Kingsley character and said, "I used to know, what was it? I used to know you, or yeah, I used to know you." And I felt like saying the same thing. And watching it, I was like, "This is Gandhi. Yeah. This is the man who played Gandhi." Yeah, you know,
0: here. Ben Kingsley, you know, he does some. He's he's a great actor. Uh, I I don't want to take any points away from him because he does movies like this. I, I in 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 a lot of ways, he reminds me of Michael Caine, right? Because Michael yeah, Caine yeah, would yeah. do these incredible roles, and then you know what? Then the next year he'd be doing like Jaws four. Or something, right. you know, and and I I don't knock him for that because I think in in a sense he's probably just you know baby needs a new pair of shoes or something, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, if he's gonna if he's gonna get work, he's gonna get work. I mean, I I remember thinking Ben Kingsley was just um you know one of the awesomest actors around until I saw the movie Species, I think the first <laughs> one, and I was just like, what what happened? You know why? Um, but then this seems to be a trend, you know, he'll do, what was the movie he did? Uh, house of sand and fog. Right. I think, you know, he'll do, he'll do stuff of that level and then he'll come back and he'll do something like this. And sometimes I just think he's laughing all the way to the bank. And so, you know, <laughs> it, 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 I didn't, you know, I didn't really have a, I think he was okay for what he was being tasked to, to do here. You know, it's not, it's not deep level stuff. Um, I had, I had, but I had a much bigger problem with, you know, you know, like Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal is going to get the new Kevin Costner award, in my <laughs> book, for you know trying to, to, to pose with an accent and and doing so unsuccessfully. Yeah, um, definitely
1: the Robin Hood of the year.
0: And you know, the other thing is, is they've got this this dagger that basically allows you to go back in time for a minute or two minutes. And they, it's never used. It's like they use it twice, and then that's it. It's you know this should, I was looking forward to them, you know, this being something that they came up with creative and inventive ways of using it, in a sense, in a way that you would in the video game, you know. Um, but here they don't do that. It's just it's this thing, and everybody wants it, and here's the reasons why they want it, and oh, it's not working right now because of this reason or. We've got to do this, and you know, and oh, somebody just took it, so we've got to get it back. So it's like I don't know. It was it was definitely under. I was underwhelmed. I would say. Um,
1: I, I kind of like the the major use of it in the middle, um, particularly during a, a fight. I think be, I believe a sh- really really short action sequence involving Snicks. I really liked the way that was used, mm-hmm. actually, or maybe I liked the way that it was it was edited and it was shot. Um, I thought that was the best use of this MacGuffin, but. Yeah, you're right. The ending of it, the way that it wraps up, uh, because it leads to the ending, the way it wraps up. Yeah, definitely, kind of felt like, oh, okay, so we can undo the rules like this. We can, okay, we can, we can mess it, we can twist it like this. It, it was almost like they weren't even playing on by their own rules yeah. at certain points. Yeah,
0: and it's sad too. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm wondering if Disney's gonna end up getting a lot of flack um, because of some of the casting and things that we've talked about before. I mean, Disney's had problems with representing middle east cultures before um i can remember when i was when i went and saw aladdin uh for the very first time in the cinemas and the song that they had originally had um their original song from latin arabian nights had this line in it about um cutting off someone's ear um yeah i think they'll they'll cut out where they'll cut off your ear if they don't like your face and Disney got in huge trouble from the, from that, and they actually went back and they changed it. Um, and I think that I have the because I ran out and rushed out and got the soundtrack because I love the soundtrack, and I have the soundtrack where it's got that original line. But like, if you look at the DVD version these days, or you get the soundtrack today, it's got the altered song um, where they've changed that line because they got so mu- they got so much flack and so much negative. Um, feedback from the public because of that. um So yeah, they. I'm I'm kind of surprised that that they went with some of the casting choices here, and I'm wondering if they're going to get any blowback from that at all.
1: Mm. Yeah. Um. Well, just just the whole thing about having these these Caucasian actors play you know Persians, which is uh I believe I read somewhere that's supposed to be modern day Ar- Iran. Yeah. Uh the status is is troublesome yeah
0: well it's it's interesting because there's a there's a there's a little bit off the subject of the film but there's a argument going on on the web right now with regard to the new spider-man movie um where there's an actor who's uh, an african-american actor comedian and he's in some movie that just came out i I don't remember the name of it and i don't have the the notes in front of me because i wasn't planning to talk about this but apparently there's been a push you know, to get this actor to play Peter Parker. And a bunch of people are like up in arms because, you know, he's he's a black actor. And they're saying, oh, no, you know, the Peter Parker character is white and you, you can't do that. And um, so there's this there's this huge issue of race around what's acceptable to be, you know, to play. And maybe this is a topic we can sort of get into in a, in a later show. I mean, I remember when, um, uh, what was it? Uh, Memoirs of a Geisha came out. And you had Gong Li and Zhang Ziyi playing these Japanese characters, and people were like, "Oh, they're not Japanese; they're Chinese. This is an insult." And you know, it was like bah, 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 bah. all a big deal. Um, so that you know, even Asians were not the, the the proper you know national national ident didn't have the proper national identity to play something. Mm-hmm. And so that's a touchy issue. It's a tricky issue. You know, um, when when is it okay? sort of to you know cast somebody who's not sort of authentically in a role is is it okay for example to have anthony hopkins who did othello and was heralded for his performances of othello which is supposed to be you know a middle eastern sort of black character um so he was essentially wearing blackface when he did it and he did a great job um but does it you know is it wrong for people who are outside of the race to sort of undertake a role that's very racially specific.
1: Well, if Antonio Banderas didn't mind having Anthony Hopkins play his father in...
0: Oh, wait. I'm
1: sorry. If <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones play play her father in The, the Mask of Zorro. Yeah. I guess. Oh, wait, but then both neither of them are, are Hispanic, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, I'm, just, it, it, I'm surprised that no one's ever really... No one really talked about this anymore. I mean, this, this is... I mean, this is a fairly... Uh, out there, I mean, it's fairly uh, issue that's pretty big. It's it's fairly obvious, but it's none of the is in none of the the reviews that are out there, even not even the negative ones. Uh, it's not even an issue. It seems like to American moviegoers.
0: Yeah, and because they're so think, to it Yeah, they you know, just, Hollywood has a history of doing this. Um, from one way, and I remember what was it? The Will Smith movie, A Wild Wild West. You know, a uh-huh. lot of people were kind of. Um, up in arms about that a little bit because the Jim West character was was made famous by Robert Conrad um, and then the question becomes is there anything inherently racial in certain characters and I was reading a blog some guy was talking about Captain America how I guess there was a push at one point to have Captain America played by Will Smith um, and you know then but then how does that fit in the context of sort of a 1950s America right mm-hmm. Wh- which was a very different time so uh it's an interesting question it's not it's not one i think that i definitely have an answer to but i my i'm just of the mind that okay jake gillenhall's a okay actor um but i'm i think there are plenty of other handsome young you know, okay actors out there who could have easily, who, ha, who have Indian or Middle Eastern heritage in them and could have e- easily taken up this role. Um, so why not go that route? Um, I guess this goes back to like what we were talking about with M- MGM, that there's people in offices somewhere who simply see ideas like, you know, oh, the, you know we have to have a white male lead to sell film because that's what sells. Um, and that's a shame. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit concast.com for more. All right, uh, I think that's going to wrap things up for this week. Uh, we don't have any special topics this week or any special things to sort of close up the show with, um, Kevin. Anything special you want to want to mention before we sort of sign off?
1: Anything um, new and exciting. <laughs> I I, I
0: I started watching Blu-rays, finally. Um, ah, how is that going? It's expensive. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I finally got a PS3, and ah. a PS3 has the ability to play Blu-rays, so I watched my first Blu-ray all the way through last weekend, and that was uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, which I had actually bought last year, because I had been planning to buy a PS3 for a long time, and then you know, other stuff came up and I kind of put it off and put it off. And I was in a, you know, I think it was in Sam's club or somewhere in the United States when I was visiting my parents and they had 2001 space odyssey for like $10. I'm like, God, that's amazingly cheap. And so I picked it up and, you know, I didn't have any way to watch it for like six months. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I got this about two weeks ago. And so I finally got a chance over the weekend. I sat down and put it in and it was pretty amazing. Um, Amazing that the, the film, you know, from when it was created still holds up today in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you know, we're past 2001 and we're nowhere near to, to that level of technology. But still some of the things that it was predicting for its time is pretty revolutionary. But the the, the quality uh, was very, very surprising that they could take a print from such an old movie and make it look that good with this new technology. So I, I was impressed. Um I, I
1: know you weren't planning on it, but Paul, if you really want to see what a Blu-ray can do, um, go for Avatar. It, it's really amazing. Um, I'm not sure if the whole no trailer, no whatever gimmick work was, was attributed to it, but it's de- it definitely shows you what Blu-ray can do in terms of both picture and visual and, and audio quality. Mm. So definitely check out Avatar if you have a chance.
0: So have you watched it?
1: Yes. Yes. I've checked so out. You
0: have, the Blu- you have a Blu-ray also?
1: Yes, I have a Blu-ray drop on my computer.
0: Okay, now. so, okay. Well, so we, may, I, we may have to start like a a Blu-ray, a weekly Blu-ray segment to sort of maybe look at some of the Hong Kong movies that are coming out. Because I, I know one of the things I notice is that a lot of the Hong Kong Blu-rays are significantly cheaper than some of the Western Blu-rays. Um, mm-hmm. For example, <clears throat> I, I, I'm planning to pick it up maybe later this week. Maybe we can talk about it next week. But Little Big Soldier is mm-hmm. on Blu-ray. And it's obviously on DVD. The DVD is like 89 bucks. The Blu-ray is 99. Mm -hmm. Um, Makes me kind of wonder if they've actually sort of invested into the quality and the standards that are required for Blu-ray. Or if they're simply doing some kind of, you know, quick copy over or not. And, you know, I've seen seen a number of other local films on Blu-ray that seem significantly cheaper. And makes me wonder the same thing so maybe this is maybe a question that some people out there have you know with regard to are some of the local films coming out on blu-ray actually worth the money
1: Mm -hmm. um there's yeah i believe it is something that this modestly price um i might not really expect too much but uh i fully expect the special effects to look worse when future x cops comes out on (laughs) blu-ray
0: We'll be able to see every wrinkle in Andy Lau's face, right? <laughs> and there every, every bit of stop motion that armor
1: needed. Yes. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up for this week. Um, as always, if you'd like to follow along with the show, you can visit our website at concast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Um, if you'd like to follow along with Kevin, you can find him on Twitter. And Kevin, where can they find you on Twitter?
1: Uh, I am the Golden Rock on Twitter, so it's www.twitter.com/slash/the Golden Rock. In one word, uh, you can also follow my writing, uh, I guess, on YesAsia.com. In the Yumcha section, you can see my editor's picks and uh, some of my entertainment news items. I am under the pen name Rockman, and also, of course, our fellow, my fellow editors have plenty of other great content as well. So. Do check it out, and uh, once in a while, I am known as uh, sometimes a film critic on lovehkfilm.com. Hopefully next week, uh, I'll have a new review up of a Chinese uh, romantic comedy.
0: All right. And um, I think next week, we'll be talking about Gallants, possibly, for our East Screen film. Uh, Not sure what we'll talk about for West Screen. Anything that you know of coming out that might be interesting?
1: Uh Paul Greengrass. Um, wait, Paul, Paul, what's his name? Is that Greengrass? The 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 born the born guy. Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Paul Greengrass. uh the Green Zone is uh, with Matt Damon is finally coming out
0: or, this week, and all, was, uh, some people called it the Born Identity Four or something. <laughs> born born the Iraq born identity. Yeah, born again. Or born i born identity
1: Iraqi boogaloo or something. <laughs> Uh, I've also saw uh, I also saw the um, John Travolta film uh, from Paris with Love. So again, oh, that also... looks
0: good. I saw the trailer for that today. Um, what did I, what did I see? I saw I got free tickets to go see the Ben Stiller movie. Oh, that was so ah, Greenberg. that was terrible. Oh, really? So boring. Really? Yeah, I was. It was not what I expected at all. But it was free, so can't oh, okay. It always improves things. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah we'll be back next week to talk about Gallants and something else and hopefully some special topics or whatever else is going on in the news and as if you'd like to leave some feedback for the show again please visit the website or you can leave us a review on iTunes and if you'd like to ask a question you can send us a question um, through the website mail or you can send us an mp3 file and we'll play it here on the show so yeah that should be good all right, so that's going to do it for this week. Until next time, we will, as always, wish you good viewing, and we will see you then. See you next time, everybody.
1: Uh, uh, have you seen the latest latest picture from uh, Legend of the Fist, um, the one that's on the Film Business Asia website? It's it's him dressed like a nationalist soldier, except he's fighting Japanese people. I guess as a communist soldier. I mean, it's like it's like, and and then and then um a mutual friend who named a uh, Soko, um says that he looks he, he looks like Short Round from Indiana Jones. Mm. So,
0: so that could, it, his, that could be his next project: a biography of of Short Round. Yeah, uh, Indy Donnie Jones. Yeah. Actually, Jay Chow already made that movie. again. I think he called it Treasure Hunter or something.
1: Oh, don't remind me.
0: (laughs) I'm going to throw out a little bit of a spoiler here. So if you haven't seen the film and you're planning on seeing it, um, you may want to, I'll I'll try and keep this under a minute. So you may want to jump ahead a minute in advance starting now. Mm -hmm. Um, So the ending of this film, I I Mm -hmm. kind of got a sense of where they were building to. And that is, if you've seen the science fiction film, Nicolas Cage science fiction film next, and you've seen how that ends, this basically ends the same way, and you I, know what, Paul? I knew they were I building to that, and I was just like, "No, why? Why are you doing this to me?" You know, and it's like, um, "I'll just leave it at that." So,
1: but Paul, Paul, I haven't seen Nick, so we just ruined the ending of Nick's. Oh, story. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a Nick Cage movie. You can't ruin it, right? It's already ruined.